0: So recently, I reread the book Rome, Sweet Home by Scott and Kimberly Hahn. It uh, tells the story of their conversion to Catholicism. You may have heard of Scott Hahn. He's a well-known Catholic author, apologist, one of the greatest biblical scholars of the day. But in the early 1980s, he was a Presbyterian minister, a newly ordained one, and an avowed Calvinist who was convinced that he needed to go convert Catholics to what he termed Bible-believing Christianity. So the book, it's quite the story of how Han, his wife, Kimberly, who was herself the daughter of a Presbyterian minister, had brothers who were Presbyterian ministers, uh, and their kids became Catholic. And it was, like many conversion stories, it was a gradual process of God's grace working in their souls and leading them. But there were these moments where it, it was like a light Uh, like a light bulb going, uh, turning on in their soul. You know, Scott tells the story the first time he attended Mass. He attended a daily Mass, and his first impression was he was surprised how biblical the Mass was, how scriptural it was. You know, he would hear the the colic, the opening prayer, and he'd say, wait, that's from Isaiah. Or there'd be another line, and he'd say, that's from the Psalms, or that's from St. Paul. So he was impressed by how scriptural the Mass was. But what happened next changed him forever. When, when the priest pronounced the words of consecration, this is my body, this is my blood, he said that all doubt drained away. Later, he said about that moment, as I saw the priest raise the white host, I felt a prayer surge from my heart in a whisper, my Lord and my God, that's really you. It was a key moment on his road home to the Catholic Church. What he experienced was a singular grace, showing him the truth of the Eucharist, that Jesus Christ is really, truly, and substantially present, body, blood, soul, and divinity, under the appearance of bread and wine. And it's the Eucharist that we've been meditating on for the past several weeks, uh, where we've been reading John chapter 6 in the Mass, where Jesus teaches most explicitly about the Eucharist. And today, we get the final installment of John chapter 6. And we see that... The crowds, the disciples who were listening to this Bread of Life discourse, they all believe Jesus is speaking literally when he says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. How can I speak so confidently? Well, there are a few reasons. First, after Jesus teaches on the Eucharist, many of his disciples say, this saying is hard, who can accept it? And as a result, many of his disciples returned to their former way of life and no longer accompanied him. In other words, they were shocked at his words. They were offended at his words, so much so that they ultimately abandoned him. And let's state the obvious there is nothing that offensive about symbolic or allegorical language. No disciple is going to leave Jesus over him speaking allegorically, like when he says, uh, I am the gate. Uh, when he's speaking about the Good Shepherd, he says, I am the Good Shepherd, and then he's, he's going through all these different analogies. One of them he says, I am the gate. I mean, everybody gets that he's speaking figuratively there. No, they take offense and abandon our Lord because they understand he's speaking literally. That's reason number one. Reason number two, when our Lord is given a chance to soften his rhetoric, he's given a chance to clarify his words, he doesn't he doubles down on the realism of what he's saying and we actually we we would have seen this last sunday last sunday we took a break from john 6 because it was the assumption of the blessed virgin mary but had it been the 20th sunday in ordinary time we would have read john 6 verse 54 where jesus introduces a different verb for eating this is a nuance that's lost in the english because the verb he uses emphasizes physical chewing, even gnawing. So when Jesus is given a chance, people are like, whoa, 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 you can't be serious. He picks a different word that emphasizes, no, I am. That's reason number two. Reason number three, he lets them leave. Many of his disciples leave him and he's willing to lose even more. He turns to the Twelve and asks them, will you also go away? He is willing to lose every single follower, rather than compromise the truth of the Eucharist. Will you also go away? That is a question that is asked not just of the Apostles, but of all believers down through the ages. Because, inevitably, To follow Christ uh, entails sacrifice, entails trust in a proverbial leap of faith. Ultimately, it entails following him to the cross. It was a question that was asked of the Hans. You know, Scott and Kimberly, they did not convert together. Scott converted first, Kimberly several, several years later. And when Scott entered the church, he did so at great cost, both personally and professionally. So personally, he lost friends he strained relationships with extended family and in-laws and it strained his marriage professionally look he went from being an up and coming biblical scholar in the protestant world one whose career by his late 20s was mapped out and going to be comfortable and prestigious all that was gone now at best his career the future of his career looked murky and he, he didn't know what he would do to support his family. And, you know, I, I, even after this experience at Mass with the Eucharist, where, he, where it dawned on him all of a sudden the truth of it, it's almost as if our Lord asked him, okay, you know the truth now. Will you also go away? You know the truth now. Will you turn your back on me to live an easier, com- more comfortable life? And to Scott's everlasting credit, to his wife Kimberly's credit, who eventually converted They both essentially respond by echoing St. Peter's words from the end of our gospel. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. They essentially said, we'll follow you. Even though it's to the last place on earth that Calvinist Presbyterians thought they would find him, the Roman Catholic Church. The vast majority of us do not have as wrenching a decision as the Hans had to face to follow Christ. We may not have to leave a lucrative and comfortable career we might not be risking relationships with family and friends but it costs all of us to truly follow Christ to to truly listen to him believe in him and embrace the faith wholeheartedly why because i mean even today right to embrace the faith sincerely is to live a countercultural life and that's especially true on a college campus in 2021 But here is the paradox the Hans soon discovered. It's the paradox the apostles discovered, Peter discovered. It's the paradox all who have echoed Peter's words have discovered that God is absolutely never outdone in generosity. Yes, there are challenges to wholeheartedly following Jesus. Yes, he's going to ask us to follow him to Calvary. But that's only so we can share in the victory of the empty tomb. That's only so that he can give us life everlasting.